Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome, everybody. New episode of Linzanity Today. Special guest happens to be coming through Phoenix through the WealthStack Conference. Patrick O'Shaughnessy, uh, famous for uh, just being a uh, media uh, hound and a great uh, investor, um, O'Shaughnessy Asset Management, and also his podcast, Invest Like the Best. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome, Patrick O'Shaughnessy. Thanks, my friend. You are on Linzanity. You are famous for invest with. Oh, you're famous for a few things. Your yeah. dad. Uh, you are the son of Jim O'Shaughnessy, uh, who's a great, great guy, mentor of mine. And you uh, have a podcast called Invest with the Best. Like the best. Invest like the best. Yeah. Who would invest with the best? So invest like the best. How many podcasts have you done? I think I've done 150 now. I started thinking that I would do seven and see what it was like. What year was that? Um, 150 weeks ago. So oh, so three once years a week. So, so consistently one, one a week. So I've done one a week. I've, I've admittedly slowed down a little bit, just overwhelmed with other stuff. But I've tried to keep to one a week for, for three years now. And what's the invest like the best? So it's it's uh, kind of a corny sounding name that I catch some flack for, which is fine. Um, it, it's actually, you mentioned my dad. It's the title of his first book. So his oh. first book was called Invest Like the Best. Oh, he wrote right, it in right. the late did the research for it in the late 80s when he was profiling money managers uh-huh. quantitatively uh-huh. to see what patterns were common across the stocks they bought. Yeah. And then he would create this like synthetic portfolio that tracked them. This was Netfolio. No, this is this is, this is a decade before Netfolio. Okay. So um, the idea was study these masters and extract lessons from them. And, and so I thought that was a neat kind of homage in the title because that's what mm-hmm. I do with the podcast. I'm trying yeah. to learn basically uh, in an hour and a half or two hours, extract the life lessons from some really interesting people. So that's the and title. You, at, at, we did one. So was it that long, an hour and a half? So ours was probably an hour. Okay. You, had, you had to go somewhere. Yeah. So, um, so you, but, but an hour to two hours. So you don't edit them much? Not really. Yeah, um, some, do some, sometimes I do. And that's just for flow. But uh-huh. for the most part, I, I just leave them as is. I try to think about it ahead of time and structure it. Do the editing ahead of time is, is much easier. And what, so what, just so, Quickly for people, there's no favorites, but like, yeah. what are some of the interest? What if people were just going to go catch a few of them? Yeah, um, what, are, what are a couple of your faves? So, I mean, you, you, I could just base this answer off of the ones that have the most downloads, sure. um, which which are unusual uh, in the sense that many well, that's of the, what's cool. About many it. of the ones that have the most downloads are not about investing. Um, so the ones that do are with oh, the Africa one, the African guy uh, Boyd Vardy, the bees, the bees, story <laughs> fantastic stuff, right? Yeah. Nothing to do with investing, all about yeah. um, uh, running super, a business. Yeah, um, so he, he's a great example Boyd uh, Peter Atia who's a doctor is a, is a great example sort of he, like a longevity the one, doctor yeah uh, who, who people are believe in him? by he's a great researcher and but do you believe in that whole would you follow along all that you do the fasting and everything I do a lot of that stuff um, I, I think some of it's just common sense and you can just tell how, how you feel when you do it and, yeah. and he's just a thoughtful guy I mean he's a very intense guy very intense researcher um, but really bright has a great team behind him so he's a really popular one the one I did most recently is probably the biggest one out of the gates with Bill Gurley who's a huh. partner, partner at Benchmark oh great did you go out there to, to yeah. do it yep you just and, called him up and um, so you know this thing is weird like it, it, it has a quasi network effect of its own sure um, good good topic when it comes to Bill Gurley and so I get a lot of it inbound now like people will just call me and, and ask to come on and 
uh, when you have the right audience, that that tends to happen. So he's been a really popular one, and then the I'll one I did on crypto was is, was insanely popular. That was with, probably like with, a million people. Uh, with who? So I I, I uh, you did a series. I did a audio documentary. Right. So it was three parts. It was probably twelve people, and they were the kind of the twelve you know who's who of the crypto world in 2017, trying to explain this to people, right? Because it's just what I found was like. I, I couldn't explain it to anybody. I didn't know what the hell it was. Yeah. And so I went extremely deep on it. And um, what we've learned is that a lot of advisors, for example, financial advisors, use that with their cl- to send to their clients to say, like, look, listen to this thing. It's three yeah. hours long, hour and a half if you speed it up. Yeah. And, uh, and you'll understand a lot more than most people do. So those are four examples that are totally all, kind of all over the map of, of very popular ones. And, and do you listen to podcasts? I do, yeah. And what are a couple of your favorites? So um, there's only a few that I listen to really regularly. Um, Econ Talk is probably my favorite with Russell Roberts. Uh, he's been doing it since 2006, I think. So he's one mm. of the longest running podcasts. It used to be all economics and market stuff. He's branched out to do just about everything now. And he's just, I find him to prepare better than anybody else. He just mm-hmm. knows everything about the guest and their work and the ideas. He's a really bright guy himself. Mm-hmm. I think he's a t- uh, uh, professor at Stanford. And uh, so he's, he's a guy that I listen to on a weekly basis, but there's tons. I mean, depending on the guest, there, there's tons in investing, as you know, okay. yeah. um, Ted Seides and the, the Ritholtz guys and, you know, all, all the ones that everyone else listens to, okay. I do too. And then um, how do you prepare to do podcasts? Because I just know my guests. Yeah. Or I know them the way I think they're human. And yeah. So I don't care about doing all the, the, the digging. I used to be maniacal about it and would prepare a lot and read everything type questions up, et cetera. Yeah. And I've trended towards now where I, I basically do not prepare. Right. And like you, I just sort of, I've done so many, I know a lot about the different parts of the investing and business world right. so that I can ask good questions. Yeah. And when you don't prepare, you can listen better and respond better to what people actually care about. Yeah. Like there's little tricks I picked up. My favorite trick is often people will say, they'll be giving an answer and they'll say, uh, we can come back to this later. And anytime yeah. someone says that, I just uh, go the right there right then because yeah. that's what they actually want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so you, I, I find you can listen better if you prepare less, which is kind of counterintuitive, uh, but works. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I'm good at it or bad at it, but I'm doing it for me. Sure. I'm not doing it for anybody else because I don't know who's going to watch yeah, it. I've gotten progressively more selfish. So yeah. if, if you listen from the beginning, like what you'll hear now is I'm basically asking questions that help me run my, my day job, which is exactly. an asset management business. So yeah. um, it, it's gotten more and more selfish, but I think that actually is good because it means Why that it's it useful, be? right? It means that I'm, in, if, <laughs> right. if the, if the interviewer is not interested, what's the point? <laughs> right. You know, I just had, I was interviewing Jason uh, Rasnick and yeah. he, like, no, one, like, I don't care if he's famous or not. We have stories that go way back. Yeah. And if people like the stories, great, but of I'm course. into it to just relive a few things with, with, with you though, I'm fascinated though, because you know, I have kids. Yeah, you have kids. How many kids do you have? Two kids. And I'm more fascinated just the relationship you have with your with your dad. Because yeah. I'm a I'm a father. Yeah. And I'm a son, and I have my own relationship with uh, or not relationship with my dad, and I have a forming relationship with my or constant evolving relationship with my kids. And yeah. I'm just like fascinated by your relationship with your dad. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if, like, I think my son would be appalled at my tweets. Uh, I mean, he's in an age where he just, he just doesn't think anything I do is cool anymore. And my daughter thinks everything I do is cool. Uh, and there has to be, that's not, uh, neither are correct. And I'm, and I'm, and then there's you and your dad, your dad's farting around on Twitter half the time. (laughs) You're pretty serious on Twitter. How does that? Uh, yeah, my uh, friend of a, friend, a mutual friend of ours says that Twitter is my dad's golf. Uh, he's not a golfer. That's so hilarious. This, this is what he does instead. Yeah, uh, which I think is awesome because 
the engagement that it creates for him, the, the, the number of interesting people, young people that he has sort yeah. of mentored and helped is, yeah. is amazing. Yeah. I mean, if when, when I am his age, I hope that I have the opportunity to, to help shape the careers of some young people like he has been doing mm-hmm. um, with a lot of care. And Twitter is the uh, bizarro land, you know, genesis top of funnel for all this stuff. So um, I think he uses it really productively. He's funny as hell. You know, he's he's everyone's favorite guy. He's not mean. Uh, he's not mean. He's he has a uh, an amazing sense of humor. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know what else to say about it. We I am definitely like the more intense of the pair. Yeah, <laughs> you've met my mom, so so you yeah. know she's a uh, you know hard charging German lady. Yeah, um, and I, I think I take after her in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, I think it's been great for both of us. And so you work to so explain how the business works. Sure. So um, it, we run a a traditional looking asset management business, meaning we manage money f- through intermediaries, so for institutions, through financial advisors for their clients and uh, all quantitative strategies. So we are very deep quantitative research experts, meaning we gather a whole bunch of information on companies. We tie, we build models that use the data to predict things we, you might care about in a company, whether that be its future returns, its sales, its earnings, um, discrete events that happen to companies, things like this. And we roll the best of those signals together into a model. And then mm-hmm. we buy and sell stocks on behalf of our clients. Right. Um, so so that's that's sort of the the... the traditional asset management frame of what OSAM is. Mm -hmm. In recent years, last couple of years, we have definitely shifted to embrace technology in a very serious way, software specifically, which, you know, I think is how you and I uh, uh, connected our our mutual interest in and love Mm -hmm. for software. And so we've been focusing on building software, um, Mm -hmm. building toolkits that help investors do a whole lot of things. And you lead that or somebody else lead that at the firm? Uh, I do. Yeah. So so this is definitely a a passion area for me that I've developed in large part actually due to the podcast. I mean, you meet uh, some of the best software investors in the world and some of the best technology company builders in the world. And it's hard Mm -hmm. not to get inspired by uh, by a lot of them. So we have. And and, uh, it's definitely been a key area of interest and focus for me personally. And so you have brothers and sisters. Two younger sisters. One's a com- comic. A stand-up comic. And, and one's a, novelist. a writer, a novelist. Yes, yes, very different. And so who, and so at a family get-together, yeah. who's the funniest? Definitely my youngest sister. So the comedian is yeah, the funniest. Yeah, as you might expect, and you would she, hope. <laughs> and does she like being a comic? Yeah. I've seen some of the stuff. It's hard to be. I did stand up for a little she, while when I was she, young. She's and amazing. Brutal. So she's she's 23. Right. I did and, it when I was 18. And is already, you know, probably one of the top, I don't know, 10 comics in Chicago. She's moving to New York because she was selected for this New Faces of Comedy, which is a really hard distinction to earn. Most of the people that earn it are 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was the youngest by far. And all the agents said, you got to move to New York. Like, you need to go, like in any business, like you need mm-hmm. to go to the place where the action is. Mm-hmm. And so she's moving to New York. Your and parents I th- must be thrilled. Oh, definitely. And and me too. And my kids too. And so mm-hmm. I think the, the stand-up life is, we've gotten Oof. to see it. It is brutal. I mean... I can't think there, of a more disgusting. There is no tighter feedback loop, right? Like, you're only as good as your last joke. Yeah. And it takes a lot of bravery and courage to do it well yeah. and do it consistently. Yeah. It's also an amazing craft. Like, watching her iterate... <sighs> Like the just little like intonations and word changes and things it's like, like this. Golf. It, it's it's, it's amazing. The you never come out. It, it really is amazing and, and a true craft. So it's been fun. She's only twenty three, right? Like she's just starting, um, but it's been really really fun to watch. And she's definitely the funniest in the family. And why do you think? Uh, so what was her inspiration? Um, you know, she was like when she was three years old. She was watching Austin Powers and laughing her ass okay, off, and yeah. and uh, just just always had a, a, an affinity for comedy. 
and wanted to be, I think at first wanted to be a writer. She went through some Second City stuff in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, I think as part of the process, they say you should try stand-up. Yeah. And she did it, and she was really naturally good. She's crazy high energy, yeah. um, you know, just just energetic on stage. Yeah. And uh, she just loved it. That was the, the part of comedy she's loved the most. So and does she we'll like happens. if you guys come to a show? So... Um, <laughs> Yeah. I hated when I didn't want anybody I knew coming. I think um, I think there's probably she probably has some sensitivity around my parents going, yeah, um, which is which is natural. But she doesn't mind it. They they've been yeah. and, and seen her and and no sensitivity around you know okay. siblings and friends. Okay, and and so you work with with Jim, yeah. As, and and yours, no one else is in it's, it's a family business. It's a family business, but um, we're really proud of the fact that there's 13 people that own the business. So me and me and my dad being being two of them. Um, I'm the CEO. I run the business. He's the co-CIO and chairman. So mm-hmm. you know, kind of you could you could imagine what those kind of titles. But he's day to day. Yeah, he's in there every day. Right. Um, and you know, if you think about those two titles, like chairman basically means he's my like constant advisor. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's seen everything, right? Yeah. And and I've seen a lot of stuff, but not everything. And uh, co-CIO means ultimately like he is with me and, and our other co-CIO, Chris Meredith, the stewards of the investment process. Oh, okay. So, so co- very co-CIO. Invo- yeah, very involved in, in um, you know, the research and the strategy and the thinking there as well. And so let's talk about the strategy yeah, a little sure. bit. So, so it's quantitative. Yep. What does that mean for the person listening in? So, so a lot of people watching will have, have seen some either read or seen Moneyball, right? Okay. So, so this idea in baseball of using data Mm-hmm. to build teams and select players, not just using scouts, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a really clean analogy for how investing has worked historically. Mm-hmm. The scout approach is, you know, the lone person evaluating a company, you know, talking to the manager, kicking, CEO, the, tires. kicking the tires, visiting the factory, et cetera, et cetera. And the quantitative approach is the Billy Bean approach of saying, who cares about any of that? Let's just see what their data is and see which data points relate to the thing that matters, which is runs, basically. Mm-hmm. And turns out, you know, getting on base is a really important thing. It's far more important than batting average mm-hmm. for generating runs for mm-hmm. the obvious reason. And this was a simple insight that led to some remarkable outcomes in baseball. Investing has seen a similar renaissance of research. So we don't visit CEOs. Um, we don't even often know the companies that we own. We're instead gathering data points on them and seeing the equivalent of runs for us as returns or earnings growth or whatever. Um, so we're trying to build models that predict those things. And it's complicated work, but the, the concepts actually aren't complicated at all. It's things like the price you pay and the quality of the business and the quality of the balance sheet and um, how they allocate capital. Like It's all the stuff you'd hear the scout talk about. It's just that we can put a lot more evidence behind what actually works. And what? Uh, so the most expensive part of the business is the data, data and people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those those are those are the line items basically. Yeah. And, um, and and the scary part is if you have bad data, none of it works. Yeah, I mean, the, the it's hard to communicate to people. Most of our time is spent on data. Yeah. Like like the the analytical piece mm-hmm. is actually a relatively which is what small spooks part. me always. Right. This is why I'm an I invest with my eyes. I yes, trust the data yes, that I yes. see. I, I I buy that, and I, I do think that people never spend enough time with data. It's tedious. Yeah. It's boring. It sucks. Yeah. Like no one likes doing it. But it's the price of admission for any worthwhile insight. I think. Yeah. Um. So it's the opposite said to me even though i'm a quant i think but i'm not because i don't trust any of the data yep. like what are the odds that i have good data is what way I, i'm the i'm like seinfeld there's like, yeah. no possible way i have good yes. data yes. therefore it's all rigged therefore my eyes are the only thing and my gut feel yep. and trying to and it works for me but i i think there's seeing your product work and we'll talk about it in a little bit i mean i believe in I believe in quant and data, but not so much about the companies itself, but more in relation to how companies are doing. Well, I think what you're doing is a bit different, right? Where in, in early stage businesses, 
you can't rely on data, right? Like yeah. you're, you're trying to find companies that are going to. I love some, when I send my deals to people and they go, well, "Send me the financial." I go, yeah, this like, company's an hour old. It. Yeah, this is a joke. Yeah. Um, the uh, our, our friend Brent Bishore says, you know, whenever he gets one of these things, he goes to the spread, you know, goes to the projections, just like tears that page out and yeah. throws it away. It's 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 useless. So I think there, it's much more about spotting. Can you can you handicap stuff that people are going to like and use? Yeah. That's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> like pre-revenue or early revenue or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can't play the quant game down there. I don't think. M yeah. Maybe someday. You, you can play the quant game from a marketing angle. Sure. To sure. raise of money course. and say we're a quant fund. It's genius. There's a firm in San Diego that does it. There's a lot of these firms now. Yeah. That's um, just more marketing. But I think what you're doing and what we do is, is drastically different. And mm -hmm. our approach, while it may be, may be helpful in some ways, is, mm -hmm. is probably not the, the, what you want your central thrust to be as an early stage investor. Yeah. and But I, I feel like... Everybody talks about quant and data and this. We have so much quantitative stuff that we see, feel, yeah. hear. Yeah. And I don't know. That's my edge. Yeah. I mean, it could be my downfall, too, sure. obviously. But that's all money management. I, was, I, was, I did a podcast with Sam Hinkie, who's a very famous uh, basketball analytics guy, um, mm -hmm. one of the pr two or three pioneers of the money ball approach in the NBA. Mm -hmm. And someone asked him the question, like, well, you know, what's better, like the, hum the scouts or the, uh, or the data? Like, how do you think about this? He's like, both like yeah. you, you do everything you can to get the best possible That's outcome like, absolutely or you know you're flying a plane do you want autopilot or the pilots like both like whatever's yeah. more appropriate yeah and sometimes humans have to have, execute judgment and we do this too right we, we obviously use a lot of data and there's a lot of empirical evidence behind what we do mm -hmm. but we you have to be human and, and make some calls at some point mm -hmm. um because not everything is in the data yeah and and actually all the biggest returns <laughs> that start at the early stage there's mm -hmm. no data to support them and Right. The ideas are That's crazy, love. right? Um, so, so data is is critical. But even as we build our, own, as we build software, as we, we didn't look to data to build the software, we, right. we said, "What's right?" Like, let's let's think about this first principles. And, and then you and, form fit it by going to track down that data. Yeah, I mean, we we you can build data, you can buy data. Uh, there's a lot of incredible tools now that hmm. you know. Years ago, we would have said someone would have said to us, "Yeah, but that's great what you guys do, but you're just looking at financial statement data. You can't do what the scout does, which is talk to the managers and read the proxy statements and really understand the business at a deep level." But the truth is now you can do that. So now we can scrape proxy statements, 8Ks, 10Ks, management transcripts, all of this stuff. And computers are better at looking for patterns than people are. Mm -hmm. And so now you've got effectively like a, like a Terminator style analyst looking through all of the text related stuff that comes from companies, all the releases, et cetera. So I think quant, you know, the software is eating the world thing. Mm -hmm. Same thing in our world. Quant mm -hmm. will eat whatever it can in investing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it won't eat what it can't, which, you know, there are pockets like what you do. So um, what excites you about the markets now? I mean, I, again, I, I opened with this. I think using the combination of research and technology to solve unique problems that end investors have is the most interesting thing to me and, and to our firm. No, so, I get that. But do you, is there anything about the markets themselves that do you just not care because you're just just whatever the machine spit out matters here. Or do you have an opinion on like what you're seeing? Yeah. So, so I, I talk. Do you often, follow the markets and I talk often about this idea of a research graveyard, which mm -hmm. is like stuff we tried and it fails and we bury it. Mm -hmm. And the biggest the, I joke always that the the mausoleum in the in the research graveyard is market timing. That we we have tried so many ways to say when should we be in this sector or this country or this market cap range or whatever. And it's just always failed. And so I, agree. I don't have a segment that excites me. I am a very interested observer. And 
I will say like smaller cap and more value oriented securities are massively orphaned, massively cheap. Um, and the spread between them and larger cap securities, mega caps, mega cap tech, et cetera, mm-hmm. is not at all time wides, but it's very, very wide. It's mm-hmm. not 2000, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's approaching kind of those crazy type levels. Mm-hmm. So that's not a timing. That's not advice. That's not timing. But it sure is interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so I watched and that as you with said some it to care. Me yesterday, it just makes sense. You know, what's worked in VC is this early stage stuff yeah. that called street alpha. Street alpha. So street alpha should be applied to small cap. I mean, you have to kick the tires a little differently. There's yeah. financials. There's yeah. there's public, you know, uh, yeah. financials, etc. And there's filings. So I, it makes sense to me what's, what you're saying. What's cool is, so you know this world, But you'd right? have to go out and really... No, you're doing it from a quantitative standpoint, so I do want to dive in this yeah, yeah. Beca- because I'm interested in small cap value. I just don't have the skills to truly go into these companies. And so you, and you're, you're thinking you can possibly do it with quants. I'm thinking there totally is there, but why is there the disconnect? Because it just makes common sense that people should do the work, yeah. go into these small companies, yeah. find catalysts. There's got to be catalysts, yeah. and then just wait. There's lots of exciting stuff happening in early stage all the time, right? So it's always a world of possibility, right? Possibilities tend to be expensive. And so if you think about like the market cap that a, Hmm. you know, low revenue Series A company is raising money at, maybe maybe there's some that raise at a $200 million, you know, pre-money or something. You can buy companies like that that are trading at seven times earnings. Yeah with, you know, 0.3 times sales, like in, in the public markets. And so you see the you see that comparison and you know the odds of any given startup ever even succeeding. And then you see what you can buy in public markets and you start to scratch your head, like it start, starts to get crazy. Yeah. And um, no one wants to buy those companies because they're boring and no, you know, no one's ever heard of them and small value's done badly and tech's done great. Um, but but typically when you see those extremes pushing away, it's, it's a good time to pause That's and reflect. That's what scares me about the market is it's just going to happen. And then there won't be a bell that rings. Right. And people have just avoided it for so long. And, it, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Right. Uh, I, I, yesterday was like the biggest momentum shift since 2009, right? Like the, I, I read about like what happened yesterday and because I could feel it. The markets didn't really do anything. But yesterday data was like there was, it was big, wild. It was Something wild. Like 10% rips down for you know shopify and, and yeah and the, and like the indexes that. didn't move yeah and weird oil and you know banks were were rocking and that's yeah. so it was like the biggest so i that caught my attention yeah it's a good good day for quant it was a good day for quant yeah. in the sense that something's happening the the so that's how that's how you're interested in the markets yep the and what about startups does that interest you I'm fascinated by startups i i would say i've learned all my best business lessons from watching what I view as the best venture capitalists and companies that they back mm-hmm. and sort of borrowing best practices. I just think they move faster. They're using the most modern toolkits. Um, they work harder. I mean, it's, it's intimidating. Honestly, you see a 10 person team with a little bit of funding moving at a pace faster than, you know, us at 40 yeah. people, with plenty of cash flow and funding. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, 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 it gets our competitive juices flowing. So uh, we're not huge startup investors. Mm-hmm. Um, we've never made an investment as a family, for example, in like a, as an LP in a fund like yours. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done some direct deals, just mostly with people we know extremely well, often for decades, mm-hmm. um, that have started businesses. But we, it's more about borrowing what we watch and applying mm-hmm. it to OSAM. Mm-hmm. And like I was wearing a shirt this morning that said game speed on it, which is a term we use um, at OSAM a lot. Um, and, and we get that compliment. Like we move quickly and efficiently. And a lot of that is because of the inspiration watching early stage companies. 
And if you were investing in early stage companies, what sector? Inter- in, in, in so, I mean, look, like I, I just always believe in playing to your strengths. So our strengths is we understand um, data and infrastructure and, and, you know, predictive modeling and things like that. So we've definitely made, if you look at like the dollars we've invested, um, heavier bets on, pl- on, on places where we could be a customer and we understand it, mm-hmm. uh, B2B SaaS companies, things like that. Um, but we're agnostic. Like we, we've, we've made some investments that are um, total flyers that are just sort of interesting, small investments. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've made others that we think are, will be really, really big companies. Um, and, and those tend to be more in the infrastructure, data, data workflow type side. And so tell me about Canvas. So you guys sure. have launched you know, so your own startup in a way. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm intrigued by it. I finally saw it yesterday. Yeah. But explain to I mean, we're not going to video, we're not going to show video. Most people listen to this, but sure. let's try and contextualize what Canvas is. Yeah, sure. You can you can go to canvas.osam.com if you want to see any more of this. But the, the idea behind Canvas is, I think the cleanest analogy b- would be the story of Amazon Web Services. Mm-hmm. So in 2004, 2005, Bezos and, I always forget his last name, Andy Johns or Andy something, mm-hmm. um, were sitting around and, and, and basically looking at this amazing infrastructure that had been built for the retail business. And they had tried to do this with some other, um, some other companies as a partners earlier on. But effectively, they said, let's take the stuff we know is useful and turn it inside out and offer the set of services that we need ourselves to third parties and mm-hmm. see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so you get EC2 and S3 and the cloud is born basically mm-hmm. from, from this insight. So we, we asked ourselves a similar question last year, which was we've spent 12 years at OSAM building software, <laughs> but only captive internal software. Because basically we started, we were using third parties for everything. And one by one, we were like, this sucks. You know, we, we can build a better version of this. It, it's not fast enough. It's not scalable enough, whatever. So 12 years later, we've got all this software that does everything in the investing stack. Trading, execution, risk management, portfolio construction, research, data cleaning, all this stuff. And so we said, what would this look like if we, instead of just using it, you saw me use that like death, felt like we built the Death Star, but we were using it to shoot a mouse. Like mm-hmm. it was real overkill for the thing, the narrow application that we were using it for. Mm-hmm. So the question became, what, what, what could this look like if we turn this key, the keys to this thing over to financial advisors, institutions, allocators? Um, so what Canvas is, is just that. It basically allows third parties to use our infrastructure to design very customized investment strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say customized, I mean like down to the position level, down to the tax lot level, mm-hmm. um, to, and, and basically build a strategy that perfectly wraps around the investor in question, whether that's some you know Amazon executive that has a bunch of Amazon stock and needs to solve that problem, mm-hmm. or someone that cares deeply about a certain set of issues. I joked at the presentation yesterday about the Howie 495 portfolio, you know, the S&P minus the five companies you hate. Would, you think people will use my idea? Maybe. Okay. I, so, you know what's funny? So I'm sensitive about word, using this word hate um, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I hate stupid words. It's a Just... stupid word. But when you ask people for companies they hate, everyone has an answer. Of course they do. Because um, we've been scarred by these Right. Companies. Versus if you say, what companies do you dislike? Like people are less vehement about it. So um, I just think we, we've never had the technology and the research combined in software like this to be able to do exactly what you want in a portfolio, mm-hmm. sort of build your own ETF, build your own fund, but even better because you can generate tax losses and things like this. Um, that's completely you, has your own stamp on it. Mm-hmm. So that's what Canvas allows. And we'll be working with advisors mostly to begin with on behalf of their end clients, the actual mm-hmm. investors, um, to build these customized strategies. But it's all predicated on tech that we built for 12 years. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's turning the firm inside out. Mm-hmm. And you'll offer to the advisors 
like an enterprise thing, where, you, where not enterprise, that you would charge for the assets under management. So it's the exact same business model we're in now, which okay. is we manage money for the end client. We charge that client a fee based on their assets, um, just like any other. So asset the advisor manager. would pass that fee on to the customer. Yeah, the and 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 the fees are very reasonable and kind of in line with what they pay now. Mm-hmm. So it's it's same price. The Sarah Tavola benchmark has this thing like 10x better but the same price or cheaper, like that's yeah. the magic that you want to create. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's another ins- source of inspiration is, is the thinking at Benchmark and um, this idea of making something that is drastically better than anything currently available, mm-hmm. but at least this, you know, roughly the same price. Yeah, I say this at Stocktwits, it's like every night at Stocktwits, and think about it, they, they, Facebook calls it the God view, Twitter has a God view. Stocktwits has its own weird God view, yeah. meaning we don't know if we're, we're right, but seeing what happens on Stocktwits from the inside out, yeah. it's like every night at like midnight I get this sheet and it's not about people. It's not not giving up anybody's data. But I see where people are yeah. spending time. Like if Stocktwits could do a good job of of creating a cheat, it's you know a cheat sheet you yep. call it, of flipping that data inside yep. out for yep. our users yep. to have. Yep. Without at the beginning when we had data, we would say, oh, let's put on Stocktwits. We'll put the most talked about tickers. Yeah. Well, that created behavior that people would just talk about the ticker. You know, sure. it created bad behavior. Sure. Yeah. But now that we've hidden all that stuff, we have this great data yeah. that we have never figured out how to kind of create like a stock to its cheat sheet, right. which is just unintended. This is what people are doing. The- you do with it as you uh, may please. And I've gotten some gr- – I have great signal. It only shows up three times a year, four yeah. times a year. It's generally for me when penny stock, biotech stocks are like r- – Ripping. Ripping. I go, we're near the end. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. And uh, this this other funny thing happened, and we don't, again, this data is not open to the public, and I only, I, I don't quantify it, I just have an eye view of it, is seeing what people talk about versus seeing what they own. Yep. I mean, once you see how people, the behavior of people is so interesting What's around the, this uh, stuff. the, the, the Nassim Taleb line, don't tell me what you think, tell me what's in your portfolio. Yeah. I always like that one. Oh my God. The, st- the data that these brokerages have, yep. I, I don't know if they're using it well or not using it well, Yeah. is got all the secrets of the world. Well, I'll tell you the thing I'm most excited about with Canvas is we get to see that question, we get to see what people actually do and care about when they're building, when they're mm-hmm. designing. Like, we don't know what the, what features they're going to use. This thing can do a lot. Yeah. So that's already been fascinating that when, when you show a demo of Canvas to somebody, usually what it does is they start projecting their problems onto it. Uh-huh. Like they ask, it, it comes in the form of the question, can it also do this? Uh-huh. And so the can it also do this is basically our roadmap. <laughs> like, that's yeah. our, like the customers are giving us our software pipeline, yeah. which is really cool and really fun. And that's an, that's an accumulating advantage for us, right? Because we're going to be the only ones that see that, that back end flow of the data of what people actually care about. Which will allow us to innovate in the in, in the in what parts way? of it that people care about. So, wh- what would that innovation be? So, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. So, we didn't anticipate this again, but what we found very often was people would ask us the question, "How would this handle if I have a client that has a large position in a single stock?" Yeah. And and then what we realized very quickly, like, oh, it turns out a lot of wealthy people have a large position in a single stock. They're an yeah. executive or a founder or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, but very often concentrated positions. And so Canvas is uniquely built to be able to manage these sorts of things, reduce the risk slowly over time, diversify, do it in a tax-friendly way. So we started developing some widgets around this concept that help explain it, that help do it better and more cleanly from a tax standpoint. And we would not have done that had it not been for the question, can it also do this? Can it manage single stock positions? We, that wasn't on our original design board. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that now we're literally getting requests like constantly every day from advisors. Okay, here's another person with 
$8 million of Facebook stock or $10 million of Apple or whatever it might be, can you build that thing you did? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's one that, that showed up from the audience, not from, from us personally. Yeah. Um, the other thing would be uh, we've created this menu of issues that you can impute. So you've got the Howie 495. Maybe somebody else says, I don't want really bad offenders of climate change, mm-hmm. um, huge carbon producers, whatever it might be. Because it's a big menu, mm-hmm. we'll know, obviously, which ones people click and which ones they don't care about. Mm. And then let's say everyone— So you can serve up the ones. Let's say everyone clicks climate change and data privacy, and mm-hmm. those are two that you see clicked. So like data privacy would screen out Facebook, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, what we could then do with that knowledge is say, okay, let's pour more resources into making the data privacy layer or the climate change layer even more granular and interesting. So mm-hmm. give them more dimensions to play with. Mm-hmm. But don't spend resources on you know this other thing that literally nobody has checked. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just don't know going in like which ones they'll care about. And there's mm-hmm. a, that's two examples, but there's mm-hmm. several examples like this. Um, throughout the platform, and, and I think that's the really exciting part. Yeah, I mean, so index, so indexing in general, what, what do you, what's the good and bad and ugly, do you think? I mean, the, the, the good We're is— getting bubble—I don't buy any of the bubble talk. What's good, bad, ugly? What, what, do you believe in it? And sure, so good is that it's low cost. Costs compound. Uh, that was Jack Bogle's great insight. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have costs, that compounds to your advantage. Um, the second good thing is that you can control what you own to some extent with this new tool, and you can generate tax losses. This is kind of a new thing, but um, you can get market-like returns, but also have this sort of tax asset where you can use the losses generated in selling a crappy stock and then reinvesting in something else to offset a gain in so your life. So indexing didn't have that at the beginning? No, mo- I mean, most still doesn't, right? So this would be what huh. people call direct indexing. Because um, so they're not doing it right? So if you buy a Vanguard, if you buy VTI, uh, three basis points or whatever you pay, something ridiculously low. You're just getting exposure to the entire U.S. market. But they don't tax They don't do any sort of loss harvesting. That they passes. could. No, you can't in an oh. ETF structure. You okay. couldn't pass it through to the investors. Didn't know that. Okay. So um, if you own your own account, the losses are, pa- are paired to okay. your personal so tax situation. So, the, so, those are so the, how do robos do it? Um, so robos, most of them offer could, some version of tax loss but harvesting. But it's not the perfect version. I mean, look um, – I think it's fine, probably. Okay. Uh, so if, if you do it with just ETFs, you can't do it nearly as well but as by you, building if you have individual it yourself, positions. That's interesting. So, so those are the two goods. Mm-hmm. Um, the bad, I think, is there's just stocks that clearly you don't want to own. The data, right. the data, this is my bad the, part. the data suggests that um, companies with really bad quality of earnings, really bad balance sheets, crazy prices, terrible trends. These are the things we screen for. You don't want to own those companies. You mm-hmm. want to you want to concentrate in companies that look the opposite of those. They things. still could be going up for whatever reason, but sure. just yeah. But but long term, you get money as in by in equities. You get money three ways, right? The company grows its earnings, its sales per share. Um, the the company pays you dividends, mm-hmm. or the mar- the multiple the market is willing to pay you goes up. That's mm-hmm. it. But that's mutually exclusive. Like those are the only three ways you can make money. So you want to map back onto stuff that's tied to those three things. Yeah. And that's what we do as a core business in the factor world. You want to avoid companies that are the opposite of that. Yeah. So if you own an index, you own everything by default. So you own the crappy, you know, whatever it is, yeah. overpriced tech stock. Yeah. Um, and you also own, you know, GE. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's the main bad. The ugly, you know, there's all this nonsense in the, in the news about there being a bubble in this yeah. style of investing. And look, obviously money going into stocks affects their prices, right? Yeah. Um, but if it's a total market index, it's it's, it's, it's sort of irrelevant. I think indexing is really good for most investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so net-net, I think you know, indexing is a, a huge positive. And so future of uh, – and then what, do you have any thoughts on the markets in general? So just that they're pricey, mm-hmm. and maybe that's appropriate, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe this bizarro interest rate world that we're in 
on a relative basis, stocks should be a lot more expensive. And they still offer a, a nice premium over fixed income mm-hmm. in terms of like the earnings yield versus the, you know, the 10-year yield or something like this. Um, but they're expensive. I mean, yeah. I, I, would, I would say that people should not expect 10% returns from equities going, going forward. forward. I think that would be a, an insane outcome. It's possible, but it would be an insane outcome. And are you, uh, do you do individual stocks at all personally or no? Nope. Okay. Uh, in fact, we have a rule at the firm that you are not allowed to do so. so are you an investment advisor? Uh, we're an RA. Yeah, we're a registered are you, advisor. Are you a 65 or no? Uh, I'm a CFA and, CFA. A, and a 65. So originally oh, got 65. the 65, but CFA kind of covers all that stuff. Okay, great. Well, I'm gonna, I know you got to head out of town, so I appreciate you coming by. Next time, we'll have a little longer and chat a little bit more about uh, podcasting and media. Um, in terms of media, it's like daily routine. Who are the people that you love to – do you have a routine or do you just – uh, you know, I just sort of, no, I just sort of read anything that seems interesting. I would say maybe my one helpful thing that I've learned over the years is I just quit stuff very fast. Like mm-hmm. I will quit a book, a page in and not worry about the 20 bucks. And Morgan just said it. that to me. I don't feel and, as bad anymore. And uh, he and I have talked a lot about this. Like, yeah. I think you want to start as many things as possible and that's your metric. Okay. And if you do it that way, then you find interesting stuff. You develop a good muscle for knowing what's unique. Mm-hmm. Most stuff is regurgitated yeah. repetition. Yeah. Um, and so I just quit stuff really quickly, whether that's a podcast or a book or an article or a blog post or a video, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's worked out pretty well for me. But I don't have a process. I just I just sort of... I, like, I love it all. You know, any, anything related to business it's investing. It's a high bar to keep you engaged. Yes. Yeah. Now, and, 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 and rising. And rise as it should because yep. there's more noise. Yep. Okay. Pleasure to have you. Thanks for coming Thank on, Patrick. Thank you, my Patrick. friend. I appreciate it. Next okay. time, at least an hour. Yeah. Thank you. Okay.